episode five yep we're doing it we took a break an unplanned break over the holidays yeah. um but no. we like every other day we texted each other with scheduling issues trying to make this episode happen and just didn't happen till now yep that was a fascinating intro i'm yep. i'm riveted already yep um will you tell people who our guest is yeah today? our guest today <laughs> is, better than us. is uh kim alexander uh hi kim hey thanks for being here with us thank you i'm so glad to be here i love you both we uh, we love you too that's why we had you on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the metric do they like us uh, they're on um kim is a teacher an artist a rock climber a single mom um a writer, um, a supporter of culture, and um, um, I don't know, social genius. Is that like, is that a thing you call people? <laughs> She's not going to call herself that. <laughs> that she uh, is an all-around delightful yeah. human being. That's for sure. Yep. Um, let's start with uh, the radar friendship bit. Um, on a scale of one to ten where one is strangers and 10 is um, is twins, where do you put our friendship? All right, so um, you and I go way back. I think you were maybe a junior at Rice. I was, yeah. Yeah, so I knew baby Matt. I saw you fall in love and get married to wonderful Ashley. We've been through times together. Yeah, a but few. But according to Thorne's metric, I was mm -hmm. thinking about this. Okay. That the problem is all of our guests have had time to prep for this question now. Right, well, and that's the problem true. is like literally the first guest set question. the tone, and now everyone will be like, "Right, like did we pee it, outside together?" <laughs> so I'm pretty sure either you, Paul Slocum, or I did in Oklahoma. Oh wow, you're right. So what is that? The I don't remember so the numerical. So at least a six. Yeah. Okay. So that was a six for Thorne. Yeah. Yeah. And Liz, and um, so at least a six, but I'm, you know, we have a lot more. So I'm going to say, you know, twins is 10. So I'm yeah. going to say seven. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty and, good. Yep. Yeah, that's high. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah. Yes. It has. And uh, for Liz, I feel more like a fan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, we've, we're in the same community together. I've yep. been in your home. Yep. And I've participated in fundraisers. I've met your mom. But I really wanted to cheat on this question and call and ask you for lunch. But you were so busy about scheduling it that I thought, well, that's probably not going to happen because it would be really <laughs> nice. Because we haven't really spent time alone except for at parties because we have true. so many mutual people that we love. Yep. And so I feel very attached to you, and I've watched you eat. So I feel like a creepy <laughs> fan, but it is not mutual. You have not seen me eat. You've listened to her eat, is what you're saying. No, no on Facebook, I, I watch. Oh, that, yes, that I thing. post videos of eating my lunch <laughs> alone. I watched the whole video. You know, it, is, it is strangely compelling. She is. She, you just are charming. And even just chewing, <laughs> there's something compelling about Liz that I can't define. So I would say I'm in fan territory on you more. 
So in terms of familiarity, since we haven't really spent time alone, uh, but I'm paying attention to you, I think I would be a little higher than you, and I'm going to say a four or five, because we have so many people together. I'll say 4.5. But it's a very hopeful 4.5, because I think that if I don't mess up today, someday we will be alone together. You're not. You're not. You, there's no way you could mess up, because you joined us for our, our podcast. Uh, did you want to rate your friendship? You, I think she, let's just go over in reverse order. Okay. I, I've I, got to rethink some things well after now, hearing her number. I would say just note, like... Again, no attachment to the number, three and a half. Just because I don't feel, we see each other, Mm -hmm. because we have mutual friends. But yeah, we haven't, we're going to get lunch after this. I'll let everybody know. It's not a measure of affection. No. It's a measure of like familiarity. Yeah, totally. If it were affection, then Then it would be be an 11. Higher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, three and a half. Okay. So, so I have, I've always told myself, and I think I've said this to other guests, that the goal of this for me is to have the lower number, because that's how you win. Because um, <laughs> uh, it doesn't cost you anything that way. Yes. Um, but my, when I was like putting the, the, you know, the limits on the edges of this thing, my low number was an eight. So I'm already, my, I, I was somewhere between an eight and a nine. <laughs> so I've already, this is the first time I lose. This is uh, yep. So I'm all right. I, I'm just telling myself that you were you were expecting me to lowball it, and so you were trying to extra lowball. That's the story I'm going to tell myself. Uh, but no, you're you're family to me. You are. Um, oh, seven is definitely family. Okay. Yes, and um, you are so familiar with so many layers of my past. It's like my sister, where you I don't have to fill in the blanks. Like um, if I had a crisis, I could call you, and you know the whole context. So I can just say three words, and you're like, mm-hmm, I really understand everything behind that. So I feel very understood by you. But even same, your wife same. isn't your twin. No, this is true. So, yeah, yeah. so I thought if Ashley's going to be like... You were, try, you, were, you were benchmarking it off of my wife. <laughs> yeah. That was thoughtful of you. I'm sure she's going to appreciate hearing that. Um, but yeah, you're, you are... Uh, this gets into why we asked you on, but not, not only are you, you know, family to me, but you are... As much as anyone I know, my, uh, I mean, it, it sounds silly, but you were my role model. You are, when I tell myself, when I try to talk myself into becoming a better person, the person, like the, the ideal I have in mind is, is Kim, um, and has been for a long time. And I admire you, um, very deeply and I'm glad you're here. So, um, but that's also, that was what Kim, when we were trying to decide who to have on next, Liz was like, we need to, we need to have a, it's a new year. We need like a new year's resolution. We need to somebody, we need somebody that inspires us to be better people. And it was like, Kim, Kim is the the person to have on. So, um, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, here's the boundary button, the boundary button. Uh, if we get into any questions that make you uncomfortable, uh, hit the, the button and we'll add a sound effect and move on to the next thing. Can I say Kim is the first guest to bring us a present? That's true. I feel like we should acknowledge that she brought us a present. Yeah, we, that's a good. Let's start talking about her art since. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. So, so it's, it's an art-related present. It is a book of. Can you describe it? What you gave us? Yes. So there's a journal out of Portland called Opossum, and it's uh, wonderful writing, uh, all of which is in some way related to music. 
And um, so it may be a personal experience of uh, an epiphany through music. It might be a story of a, a washed up um, metal rocker being kidnapped and held hostage. <laughs> That's a very funny one, by the way. Um, it might be a poem. Uh, so I mean, it's really good work. Yeah. And so I brought you uh, beautiful writing, and my paintings happen to be on the cover. I was going to say both covers, because we each got one, um, have a painting of Kim's, and they're really beautiful. And I I mean, to try to describe them would not do it. No, justice. there is. I, I actually would like to hear you try to describe your... Um, your aesthetic and words, uh, uh, not just what you like, but how you paint, because it's very um, distinct, and I know you're also good with language, so let's just segue into that. What? So Ben Fountain described it as uh, John James Audubon on acid. Okay, Ben Fountain, we should say, is, <laughs> is one of Kim's good friends who also is the author of Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk, and um, what's the new one? Beautiful Country Burn Again, is that it? Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. So um, it, it and it is. It's uh, it's based on natural history um, uh, illustration, biological illustration, but it's always metaphorical. And I kind of arrived at that from being a teacher because I wanted to uh, have a visual language for the natural world of my classroom because this is the language of scientists. When they would discover a new species, they would want to record it in a way that would be recognizable to those who had not seen it. So it's a very kind of flattened out, descriptive, almost diagram of a species. And so that kind of flatness is really attractive to me, but it's, it's, a, it's like a diagram, it's information. But what it ultimately says is I witnessed something and I want to record it. And when it came to working, I, was, um, I taught ESL for 14 years, and I saw such wonders in my students that I wanted to paint metaphorically about their, their traumas and their courage and how inspiring they were. So I arrived at this idea of using natural illustration to say that I was seeing new things from these young people and the world that I'm in every day, from their stories and their lives and also patterns that I would see. So the, the one I gave to Liz is, um, the, the cover painting is called Self-Portrait as a Teacher. So it's, it's actually the idea of um, what it means to be a teacher for me, how I'm trying to kind of work with my being as a teacher, what an intimate and kind of paternal thing it is. But yours, um, Matt, is, um, this is from my past. So I, I moved from just using that style about my students and it led me to do paintings more about my past because, um, you know, uh, when you work with young people, the things that really energize you are somehow the unfinished business of your own past. And so they led me to see myself more clearly so I could also paint from my past. Hmm. So I feel like we owe Oh, an attempted description. So when she says self-portrait as a teacher, it, there there is nothing human representative about it. It is it is almost a it's a botanical with sort of um, animal a, biological a components. Of a heart. So mm -hmm. like if you were drawing like a like a diagram of a heart, and then out of the heart um, is growing all of these branches, and so then you've got what is artichoke, mm -hmm. and then what else? A lily and. Um, you know, those are the lilies that are, are um, related to death. 
Mm. And um, for me, mortality is always a part of this. Our, you know, sort of a defining aspect of being human is our the limitations of our lives, and I think it makes this time that we have together so important. So yeah, a very um, highly detailed, tiny brushes, <laughs> kind of, I mean, it looks almost obsessive, the, the kind of detail. And, um, and for me, I think that's a real way of kind of loving the world by immersing myself so much in a demanding painting. So it's a, I mean, it looks like um, a heart that you might find in maybe a 19th century medical manual, mm-hmm. totally. you know, where um, it's carefully, respectfully painted. And then, uh, but the shape of the heart is mimicked by the shape of the artichokes. Mm-hmm. That's what led me to the artichokes. But I have to say, I needed to hold a heart. So I went to... Um, I went to, to do this painting, you feel yeah, like? Yeah, I, so I went to, I, I went looking for a pig heart. So I went to the Mexican grocery stores and I couldn't find any pig hearts. And then I went to the Chinese grocery stores. There were shelves of them. They were all flayed out so you could kind of put it back together and you could hold a heart, right? A pig heart about the size of a human heart. So I needed to kind of know it and have artichokes and those lilies and, um, yeah, and it's a kind of a tangle. And then in this one that I'm holding that you described as from your past is uh, the body of a blue turquoise python with the head of um, a pelican, a stork, mm-hmm. a pelican. Uh, and it has, it has, it's winged, uh, well, the wings are the color of meat, and then it's protecting uh, some cabbage that's been eaten by caterpillars, and it also has its uh, intestines spilling out of the other side. Um, so that's just just to paint a bit of a word picture for what we're talking about. Well, I know, like, so our last guest, Thorn, he and Kale have one of your paintings at their house. Yes. Um, and I know every painting is different, but about how long, like how long did it take you to paint the painting that's at their house? Oh, forever, because I yeah. do a lot of <laughs> marinating. So they're labor intensive, but yeah. before I can ever do the painting, I have to do so much thinking. And they're related, I mean, they're so intimate. Um, that one that's at Thorn and Kale's house is about the murder of the mother of one of my students. And I, I know I just, I had to kind of work out the toxins of that situation, but also being a, a witness and being on the side of my student, you know, just watching her go through that. Um, I would say it's kind of interesting as I look at these two. So the one that Liz has with the anatomical heart and the lilies, it's very related to working with students. And then I've, I went to Haiti and I've been looking at art from Haiti and paintings from Haiti, which have this kind of ancient pipeline to the past where we as human beings we just make art because it helps us survive psychologically and emotionally and you really see that in the paintings of of Haiti it's um, it's connected to such kind of uh, ancient energies and that's helped me also to um, be a little freer from kind of the impetus of art culture um, that I'm surrounded by and and go more inward Mm -hmm. and and this started as a reaction to one of my favorite Haitian painters, um, where it's a... Dom- she just pointed to the, the one she called her past, the, uh, the python pelican. Yes, I chose one, a, pain, a painting 
that I really loved Haitian painting. And then when I started to paint a reaction to it, I realized, oh, it's all about this deep psychology that I didn't recognize until it was almost done. Hmm. So that raised about 80 questions I was going to ask, and I lost, <laughs> I lost 78 of them uh, as responses. Um, so I think the big one, just to, to sort of, I, I want to keep talking about art because your, your point of view on art is, is, has always been interesting to me. Um, but because so much of your art now is so centered on the lives of your students, can we talk a little bit about your students and their situation in general? Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like violence is, is very much a part of what they deal with. Um, and I know you just lost uh, a student very recently. So um, are you comfortable talking about what happened there or in the, in the general context of? Uh, yeah, generally. Um, so uh, I've been teaching for 18 years. And I taught ESL for 14, and now I teach ESL and mainstream English to 11th graders, which is such a great year. And by the way, the year I was orphaned. So it's incredibly therapeutic for me to be with these young people and give to them what rescued me. School gave me 11th graders when you lost your... Yeah, my mother had died when I was four, and then my father when I was in 11th grade at the end of that year. And um, my students, many of them struggle with poverty, um, all the issues of immigration. Um, I have a lot of students of color, so they experience the, um, the violence of racism and the threats that come along with not feeling like you belong. And, uh, and so I am watching them. I am learning how different it is to be young in this time. And uh, they are so different from one another and so different from me. But they struggle. I have students who are helping to pay rent. I have um, students whose parents are addicts. I have students whose parents have extreme medical needs that aren't being met because they're impoverished. In my ESL classroom, um, they're from Syria, from Iraq, from Afghanistan, from Yemen, from El Salvador. So, uh, I mean, couple of, I, I think it was maybe in November, there was in the middle of our class the loudest crack of thunder. And the whole class jumped. And then there was nervous laughter because they all felt like they were home for a moment. I and mean, it was a PTSD moment. Hmm. I'm with young people who remember bombs, who remember gunshots, and, um, and sometimes go home to neighborhoods where gunshots are not unusual. And, um, but I would say, um, across the board, most of them suffer the violence of poverty and, um, and the humiliation that goes along with poverty and the powerlessness of that. And um, so, uh, yeah, I lost a student in the fall, but I also lost a former student in December. And uh, this is how compromised the lives of these young people are. And uh, when, you, you, when you lose a student, it's... Um, it's a shock to their peers. Their peers are suddenly facing the fragility of life as well. It isn't just um, that horrible loss of one child, but it is um, the, you know, a, a kind of abuse from from life that um, comes upon all the other young people. It causes a tremendous amount of anxiety. One of my students who was close to the boy who died fall semester, he said, that's my second friend. Mm-hmm. So he's a junior in high school, and that's his second friend. And uh, so, I mean, and at the same time, it's so bonding and an incredible 
privilege to be with them. But I, I know that, um, that they are, are helping me kind of vicariously work through the violence of my past, which is filled with violence and death. And so when I am with them in it, I feel um, so united with them. And uh, there's a, a great uh, counselor at school, and when a, a student is hurting, he'll say, no estas solo, you are not alone. Those are the words of comfort, and they're such realistic words. It's never, everything's going to be okay. You're fine, because you're not, it's not okay. But I can say, you're not alone. I'm with you, I'm on your side. So I'm painting to have some power over mm -hmm. that, I think. And also to remember it, to not take it lightly, to mark it. I'm not forgetting, I'm with you, I'm not forgetting. It's, it's here in front of me as I'm meditating on uh, the hardship of being a young person in this world. Um, while I'm painting, it's very connected to that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to hear you describe your painting as as the detail as being sort of a, an act of, of love and, and acknowledgement of the world and trying to, to see it as it is and, and represent it um, um, with effort and, and time. I wonder, so one of the things I've noticed in your art uh, over the years is, is you also have an interest in pattern and repetition. Um, oh, yeah. so, and uh, it, it, that the execution of that seems to have evolved over time, but I'm curious how... Uh, if that sense of repetition has the same kind of meaning to you as the as the line detail that you get into? Oh, so this is kind of a formal element because one of the things I want to see in painting is um, a, a kind of uh, delicate confusion between what's in the foreground and what's in the background. And pattern is a, a simple way to flatten everything out. Mm -hmm. So that if you have some elements that say there's depth, and then you add pattern, all of a sudden you have a little visual argument. Is it flat or does it recede? And so I always am trying to get it just kind of back and forth to add, um, that excites my eye. Got I'm never satisfied unless I have that sense. That makes sense. Um, you talked about, um, uh, well, you talked about both the, the tragedy of your students' lives and you talked about Thorn um, having a piece of your art, uh, which um, we were going to ask you. You listened to our last episode, which was an interview with Thorn, and uh, and we're very you, you enjoyed it. And you had one complaint, which was that we didn't ask him about his name, how he got <laughs> named. Yeah. And you know a story that we don't know, which yeah. is itself about a young person in a violent context that um, I'm sure has all sorts of echoes of, um, mm -hmm. of the kind of uh, issues that you deal with in your classroom on a daily basis. Do you, do you mind sharing that story with us? Yes, and you might Just because I, I ask this because um, Kim is, is an incredible advocate for her friends like, uh, and, and loves uh, more than anything to talk and praise her friends, so I figure that it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a true Kim experience without giving her a, a platform to... Uh, to, to talk about how remarkable someone she loves is. All right, so our um, incredible Thorn, he, uh, and I've met his father, I've been um, in their home in North Carolina. His parents um, were, uh, uh, his father is a minister, as you guys talked about, yeah. and uh, involved in um, human rights, 
and his father, and I hope I get this, this story correct, that doesn't we're not interested in accuracy in this, okay, good, <laughs> on this podcast. You, so you can tell I, whatever story is the best version of the story. Thorne, I apologize if I'm misquoting them. It, and Thorne is a great storyteller too, so he's the best one to hear it from. But um, well, we missed our chance, so um, there's no we could interview him again, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> in the murder of Medgar Evers, there was a young man who was a, a prime witness, and so his life was in danger. And, uh, and so Thorne's father protected this essential witness. And the, this brave young man who stood up against um, really just an incredibly entrenched and violent, horrifying uh, racism, stood up and pointed to the murderer in court. And so uh, Thorne is named after that witness. His name was Thorne. And, um, and so that that's the background on Thorne's name. It, which is amazing. I mean, that's, I wish I had known that to ask him. That's an incredible story. I feel like, I feel like people with meaningful names either spend their lives um, trying to live up to, to the, what they've been named after or, or trying to like thwart it and, and run from it as, as much as possible. And he, he clearly is, was in the former category, it seems like to me. Matt, who are you named after? I'm uh, the, uh, the gospel writer, Matthew, literally means gift of God. That's which, a little pressure. It's a little pressure, gift, gift from God. That's what it actually literally means, gift from God. And once I was sort of an adult on my own, I was I, the, like I had this incredible resentment over the inc- that being an incomplete sentence. Like, to whom was like, like what? <laughs> um, who, and, um, so I struggled with that a long time, and uh, uh, actually, I like I had a, a a really profound experience in meditation one time that um, that uh, that seemed to resolve that for me finally. So that is no longer the. Uh, the albatross it once was for me. That's good. Kim, do you know who you're named after? So, um, I, I was told that I was named after our telephone number. That's great. That in California, <laughs> when I was born, okay. they would have a word and a number. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, it was Kimberly something. Kimberly 419, or I don't even know how those and they, numbers and they were just like, anymore. That seems nice. I feel like somebody could make, like, a really charming, like if they left out half of your childhood, that you could make like a really charming sort of, you know, yeah. buddy comedy romp, you know, wandering, wanderlust style adventure story that um, that would be started off with you being named after a phone number. Wouldn't that be great? I know I do have wonderful, especially in nature, experiences, and then there's always something horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's really hard to. I mean, it makes me so thankful. I love my adult life because I am far, far away from what I grew up with. And so I want to kind of share my experiences, but it's always so... And then someone died or was beaten horribly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really bad. And uh, But yeah, there are these moments where there's just a little bit of... How many assumed names did you have growing up? Oh, what assumed names? Oh, nicknames? Do you mean? No, no, no. I, like, didn't you have to change my, your your surname in multiple? I did. My father was a con man. I mean, and by that we would leave really quickly. Yeah. So we had because it was. Um, so I had four stepmothers, and they were horrible. 
all at once? Yeah, was that, literally. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That's going in the buddy comedy movie. Of your totally. Oh, man, so that would have been great at once. A succession of them. None of them would have survived. Yeah. They would have choked one another in minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, they were very angry people. So, um, yeah, so uh, just to give you the synopsis, because it's insane. Um, my, I am, the first of all, the orphan daughter of an orphan. And so um, this fits death the- is my, <laughs> it's mm. what I have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, my, my father's parents died. He went to one set of grandparents. They died. He went to the next set of grandparents. They died. Then he went to an orphanage. He was adopted out of an orphanage by a couple who had just lost their 16-year-old in a car accident. And my father looked like him. Ah. Oh, that's going to work. So it didn't. <laughs> and I never got to know those adoptive parents. But then that poor man, my father, imagine him losing his wife with three children, my mother, right? And, uh, and so he um, was a, a very uh, charming person, and, uh, but never was able to uh, have stability for us or anything like that. But he wanted to get us a mother. So he just kept roping in these resentful women who would then leave eventually like, you know, they didn't like really being given the job gotcha. of taking care of us while he would go run around. And uh, so, so four stepmothers moving around constantly and then he died when I was a junior. But there was a lot of violence. Um, yeah, so it all ends up like that. But me wandering in the woods is the best part, like catching birds in my hand. And how many parts of the country did this happen? Oh, um, so zigzag. Uh, California, Wyoming, Arkansas, and then Michigan. Okay. And I worked um, picking blueberries in Michigan. So I would work 12 hours a day in the summer alongside migrant workers. So it's amazing to me that now when I work with... um, kids who have to work to provide for their families. I know what that's like to, uh, you know, uh, I would work with kids who would move around the country just picking and lose a lot of school. How much of this part of your life do you share with your students? All of it. I tell them all kinds of stories, everything I can, so that we can know each other. Um, Yeah, it's really, I want them to know uh, that I've struggled, but also in that story is how very, very precious my time with them is. So in, I mean, in the background of my story is always that school helped me and that teachers were the only adults that I felt I could trust and emulate. And, um, and so I really want to do a good job for them. If we have a conflict, I'll pull a student out in the hall and and I, I'm, I mean, it's, it's almost cheesy. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say, I, I came to work for you today. I really care. How can I help you? Or I'll even say, I am a public servant. I am here to serve you. I mean, and I mean it. Today, um, every day we read a quote from Mr. Rogers. Today, the quote, I mean, this is with juniors in high school, but they need love so much. And this is you bringing Mr. Rogers' quote. I'm in my classroom today. The first thing we start with is the slide. And today, the quote was that love is um, an action of the present. I'm not saying the quote exactly, but it's like the word struggle, that you strive to accept who someone is this moment. And when you look at beautiful young people and you say these things, you realize we all need it so much, right? And um, 
So I feel like I'm kind of on the shore of a great ocean when I stand in front of them, and that I am receiving some deep mystery from their youth and their experiences. But I have to be real or it won't work. So, and they love the dirt. Oh, I also. bet. I yeah. Bet. Any stories that I have that's dirt on, like, my past or whatever. So did I make up the part about you having to take different last names to... I really um, hate it that that's not true. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, it's, a, it's a thing with me. Men don't have to change their names as much. No. <laughs> oh, that well, but then you got, I mean, you had the choice of changing yours once you got divorced and you, you kept your ex-husband's name, which... Um, yeah, to stay the same as my, my children. Oh, I see. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, um... Speaking of, speaking of your ex-husband, yes. can, can I ask, uh, or at least can I share <laughs> something? I've never met the guy. I just know stories. But, um, so as instructive as you have been as an example in my life, he, your ex-husband has been as instructive as a counterexample. Uh, can, can, I, can I share a quote that you shared with me that, that yeah, I, this is great. I carry in like a locket, a, a metaphorical locket around you're, my... You're basically saying you would like to be as far away from the person that he is yes, as possible. Yes, yes, okay. Exactly. So I have, I have, um, um, try to hold on to your hats. I have a strong inner, inner narcissist that I have to, um, you know, struggle with daily and, and try to keep at bay. Shocking. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty shocking. Um, uh, look at me, I'm on a podcast. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know of anything more valuable in my struggle against myself than, uh, than a quote that, you, Kim, once shared. Um, I, here, I'm gonna. This again might be me embellishing the story to make it a little better than it was, but this is how I remember it, and you could you could fill in the gaps, or you can hit the boundary button, and we could just cut this part out entirely. Um, so, I the way I remember it is, you were in counseling together, and the um, the therapist uh, suggested to your husband that he was likely a narcissist based on. Uh, some some patterns and, and behavior. Um, and I it, like it hit him pretty hard and he thought about it a long time and I rem- he came to you later and said, if anyone can overcome be- being a narcissist, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Is that did I get, did I get the story right? <laughs> there is so much more of the same. <laughs> <laughs> Many stories like that. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. See, I use that. I use that mm-hmm. so frequently as a way of it's a beautiful story of puncturing my own sense of self to uh, to to not like go too far down that road when it becomes. Um, as enticing as it sometimes is. The other thing I love about it is like we are living in. We're living under the reign of of an incredible narcissist right now. Yeah. But the one who would never be capable of a, a phrase like that. No. Because what makes that phrase so amazing is the self awareness, and then the the resistance, the, like the almost self awareness, like they just like that's yeah, not right up to the edge. Yeah, yeah, right up to the edge, and then just like sprinted back. Mm-hmm. We 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 don't get anything like that with uh, with our our current president. So yeah, that may just be a lack of intelligence. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Trump, as since you are someone who has been through many difficulties, and what uh, I said to people when I was telling them we were going to have you on, is that there are not very many people I know that have joy like you have. 
but it's not like a shallow saccharine thing that it's like a joy that was born in pain because you've been through quite a bit um and because of that there's kind of like a, a weighted groundedness to it that is refreshing and not annoying because most people that are overly joyful uh, i can't i can't handle them um but you might be the right person to give us all some advice about how we how do we what do we do what like how do we get up every day do you have advice for people about how to not uh, throw things across the room when they watch the news. Uh, I'm like just that. just going to briefly interject and say that Liz and I, before this interview, w- were prepared. We we agreed that we were going to have to throttle your Kim's instinct to say nice things about us the whole time because that's oh that's uh, true. I adore you both. Um, I didn't know that I was going to have to be on guard for like that was like the nicest thing I've ever heard you say to anybody, Liz. So uh, I didn't know I was yeah. gonna I was gonna have to <laughs> um, right. hold back, Liz. Yeah, it's probably the nicest thing I'll, I I've ever said and will ever say. So, <laughs> yeah, we you don't have to worry about me saying it. Nice <laughs> okay, I I can just I can relax. Uh huh. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. So anyway, advice for living in the era that we live in. You know, I. I I'm going to go back to Mr. Rogers. I want to be the helper that other people can look for. And so the worse it gets, the more um, significant my efforts are. I want to, um, so, so if we're in a time of trauma, then that is a time where I have a job to do. And it's significant for me to love the people in front of me, to empower them as much as I can. And, uh, and I also feel, um, I've been thinking lately that I, I want to um, change the way that I speak because I want to think more about ethics than politics. I think we have taken, we've politicized so many sort of basic ethical positions. So let's take the Hippocratic Oath, for example. Um, you know, do no harm. That's not a political thing. And my favorite is um, Camus, where he says, uh, don't add to the pain of another. And that's so beautiful to me because it starts with empathy, where you assume that person has pain. Of course, they're human, they have pain. So my job is not to add to it, but that also infers that I should not allow them to cause me pain. It's a very simple ethic. And so that gives me a gate out of this kind of binary politicization of everything and, and back into the fact that we are human beings together. And, uh, and I want to not just make everything about that binary, but return to the complexity of life, of love, of being present with one another, of not being distracted by um, you know, the sensationalism and the threat of it, you know, the anxiety of it can drive us. So what, what can we do to our speech to get an on-ramp that would lead us to just a natural way of thinking of other things, right? So, so I'm thinking about that. Um, I'll turn, well, and I do have to say, in my classroom, it's extraordinarily important that I'm not political. I want every student to feel at home to feel equally loved and um, you know I just I think in fact of a student I had um, shortly after the election and uh, there was a, a silence in my class because I have a lot of people of color who felt threatened 
And, uh, and one girl, she had tears in her eyes, and she said, Miss Alexander, in front of everyone, do you think everyone who voted for Trump is racist? And that what my student, my lovely girl, is saying is, Miss Alexander, do you think my family is racist? It's really important that I answer this in a way that is kind to her and makes her at home in the class where she, is, she isn't feeling like she belongs in that moment. And that is so much more important, my girl, right, in our home classroom, that she feels safe here and like she belongs. So I don't want to be distracted in my classroom from the human thing we are doing together, our community, right? Um, yeah, so I think the worse it gets, the more important each day is in this moment of the now, which is the moment where we have the love of, the choice of love, right? Love is about right here. I just need to acknowledge that I've been talking myself out of asking a Fast and Furious related follow-up question. Um, it just feels, it feels so inappropriate at the moment. You did. I did. Use the word ramp. On the highway <laughs> of love. Uh, no, I had one prepared. I had a whole, I had a whole thing. And it just, it just does not seem like it would have, would have at all landed right. No, that so would have, that would have killed the, no. the vibe. Yeah, it would have brought it back on brand, but at what price? It's a good thing you didn't do that. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing that helps me so much is my marker is death. Because as a child, I mean, that's just my, I'm psychologically existential. So death is always a presence, it's always a possibility. And if that's your reality, then you have a different sense of accountability, right? And so I think it's really that I come from another kind of darkness. Absolutely. Well, I, um, I genuinely appreciate your, your being here and sharing yourself with us. This has been uh, exactly what we hoped it would be, um, beautiful and terrifying and challenging and hopeful all at once. So um, that's, that's who you are. So thank you, Kim. Was it funny? It was, yeah. <laughs> yes, hilarious. We were, I mean, hysterical. I don't think they don't all have to be fun. No, absolutely not. I feel like people feel like pressure. Oh, that was a joke because Thorn word. I know. Who is just inherently en entertaining, and uh, that was just such a wonderful, wonderful. He interview. knows. He knows. He's he knows. a good storyteller. Yeah. He, just, he really you know. Is. Um, no, we all we uh, we. I mean, part of the reason we chose. Um, I mean, like when Liz and I are going to talk together, it's going to be you know jokes. But part of the reason we chose Thorn and then you as a follow up was like just uh, we don't want that to be the box that we're in. We wanted this to be whatever we want it to be. <laughs> Take you right out of it. Yeah. Um, so, but I get a question. Oh, do you? No, 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 no. That was. Uh, That's not part of the format. No, Thorn. Thorn brought that in. Let's not. That's we fine. don't. We're not. Let's vote. Let's I, raise your I hand. Who a thinks Kim can ask a question? I want to hear hand. the. I want to hear the question first oh, before us, I raise my two hand. Two of us raised our hands. I want to hear about your eleventh grade teachers and English, oh, especially <laughs> English teachers, especially. Oh, you're yeah. not going to like this at all. <laughs> mine was horrible. Oh, mine was the worst. <laughs> Oh, she, she, I have, um, and I have an abiding issue with authority that 
partly is my dad's fault, but it is more my 11th grade English teacher's fault than anyone else. <laughs> she, um, I don't even remember her name. I can picture her face. And um, she taught me, the one thing she taught me was how to bullshit, how to give somebody something uh, that you didn't believe in at all but that they thought you believed in and was exactly what they wanted without them knowing that that was what they wanted. Um, and I thought she was ridiculous. I don't, I mean, I can't even give you any specifics. It's a horrible story, man. Oh, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. She taught you a horrible <clears throat> thing, and I'm pretty sure it's probably served you well. I, your <laughs> it might be the most valuable thing yeah. anybody's taught me. Yeah. Uh, before before her, I like believed in English and believed in English teachers and believed in teaching, and then she just ruined it for everybody that I ever had as a teacher after that. What was it that did that? Um, what is what is? I don't see the problem is I have to reconnect with my sixteen, seventeen year old self, which is not a self that I'm like on good terms with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember the feeling of like, of just thinking she was like one of the most ridiculous people I'd ever encountered and that she was so incredibly unaware of how ridiculous she was. Was she petty and she refused to admit No, she, she was kind of sweet. She was like really, wow. um, I don't know. Wow. I went on to become a literature major and I yeah. love like, I, I had a lot of fantastic professors and um, um, it was just this one person. That's interesting that she had that impact. Yeah, the only other person, I did have one other professor that I had the same reaction, um, and he was, I remember writing on his, uh, his uh, evaluation that I wanted the, however, I calculated the hours I'd spent in the class, and I, that I wanted that particular number of hours back. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was not, I was, I, you know, I had some growing up to do. Mine was horrible, too. But it, but I liked that he was horrible. Ex explain that. I don't understand. He um, looked like he hated us. <laughs> he never smiled. He was. Um, he looked like he uh, resented us for wasting his time with our presence. And he would do everything he could to intimidate us and acted as if he could never be wrong. And he said, "I never give A's." And I thought, you will. <laughs> did you, so did you? I am so inspired by somebody saying no to me or that I'm not good enough or that I don't belong. I think, Where does that come from? I think because I didn't. Well, I think because I didn't, but also I think about all the people who do not belong who are so worthy. So why would I buy that about me? You know? I mean, if, uh, if there are people who never had a chance to learn to read and write and that they would be excluded and not considered human, then I don't believe that. And I'm somehow buying that if I take your judgment on me 
that I'm not good enough, if I'm not smart enough. And so if you would exclude human beings on, on that weird scale that you've made up in your own head, I just see it as puny. And so I, I, I just feel like if someone else can't live in the face of it, I'm going to. And I'm so inspired by hate. <laughs> I really am. So he was very hateful. And, uh, and I worked really hard in that class, hmm. and I did get an A. But he didn't smile about it. You got an A. All right. Yeah, I did. Good job. High five. Congrats. <laughs> Liz? You're English teacher. So I'm not going to, I don't have a, no, this is not a story about my English teacher, but it is a story about my 11th grade math teacher. So I was in pre-calculus, and we just didn't, I was generally, I was a good student. I don't, I generally follow the rules, but we just didn't, we kind of had a personality clash. And then also that year, I decided that was the uh, whatever period class that was, we was during the Pledge of Allegiance. And I decided that year I was going to stop standing up to stay the pledge. Wow. Um, I, this I had is 11th like, grade. Yeah, like I had I'm a proud whole of you. reasoning in my head. I found the way. I didn't even think about it. Well, I just found the way everyone stood up and kind of was like, like I found that to be disrespectful and the fact that we just like did that every day it bothered me and so I decided a better way to exercise I'm so proud of my 11th freedom grade Liz. was to not um, but my pre-cal teacher didn't agree uh, and so she made me write a paper so it was kind of like an English thing so I had to write a paper explaining why I wouldn't stand up to say the pledge which I'm pretty sure you can't do like I'm pretty sure that's not really a legal People get Think. reactive about it. It's um, interesting. Uh, anyway, do so. you do you? How hard would it be to find this paper? <gasps> oh, I'm sure she did not keep it. Oh yeah, and you shouldn't probably give it back to you. No. Uh, I would. No. Re- I would pay money to the read it. The fact that. that I still, because I have a horrible memory, the fact that I remember yeah. and remember why is pretty good. Did That's she why. accept your reasoning? I guess so, and I don't remember if I started standing up. Because it's also like you could just stand up and you didn't really have to mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. it. Um, I probably just gave in and wow. did that. You were like the original Colin Kaepernick here. No, I was not. <laughs> don't, don't, say, don't say that. That's, it's horrible. That's you the most just, anger I've ever seen in you your eyes. You just had to take back your woke card. <laughs> your woke card. He, Matt proclaimed he's woke. Uh, oh, I heard. Is, it was ironic. It was ironic woke proclamations. Well, no, um, even that's gone. Yeah, it's too late. I, I'm remembering more about uh, my 11th grade uh, teacher. Just so her name was Miss Tomar. That clicked suddenly as I was listening to Liz talk, and she her it was basically how she interpreted the texts that we were reading. She would get all excited about what I thought were very superficial um, explanations for all of these incredible things we were reading, and that it drove me nuts. That's and and if I would write and papers. What I thought was like the, the real profound thing, I would do poorly. But if I wrote like, if I wrote really flowery, flower, flowery stuff about superficial bullshit, then I would get A pluses. So that was you had to stoop to her. Yeah, before. yeah. Oh, that's frustrating yeah, for a kid. That was that was it. Oh wow. I've um, in my second period, there's a pledge every day, and so uh, I. Um, 
I tell my students, of course that's your choice, and I turn my back so I don't notice. It's up to you. I just want respectful silence. So wow. We, we went in the library, and, um, and none of my students that year were standing, and the librarian uh, tells them all to stand up. And uh, I say, well, they have permission to choose. That's the law. And she says, every one of them? Which I thought was really strange. Yes. They all have only permission. Only one of them. <laughs> only half the class has permission to choose. <laughs> she was so steaming that she, could, she didn't know that. Yeah. And my students felt so snug and protected by me. <laughs> right? It's like, I've got you. In fact, that year, um, that was the the Colin is it Colin Kaepernick? What, mm -hmm. Colin I don't Kaepernick. want to say his name wrong. Is um, that was that year? But I think it was even before him. There was a girl, um, and she she sat during the pledge in a way that was very um, provocative, and uh, and had a couple of boys follow along. She has a really strong personality. She's lovely. And, um, and she said, I'm sorry, miss. I saw a video of an 11-year-old shot by the police today. I can't stand. And, um, and so, uh, so I, I, I explained to her that the humanities are ultimately about empathy. And so this seems like a really good application of the ethics of our class, that we're seeing things from others' points of view. But then uh, I called the parents of those four students and that was a really fun phone call because I said, I want you to know that your daughter expressed empathy in a courageous way today, that in the class she remained seated during the pledge out of uh, her compassion and concern for the rights of an 11-year-old child who was killed. I thought you would want to know that so you'd be proud of her. And of course the mothers would cry. It, would be, it was four mothers that I ended up talking to. But I love that kind of phone call where I can say, your, your child is being empathetic, because that's like one of the first words we cover in our class. They don't, a lot of times my students don't know that word, and then they use it, and we hear it all year. And um, that is, I think, the core of the humanities, the, the value of, of reading. So um, yeah, that was great. Wonderful. Cue the music. Yep. We'll see you next time. Yep. That, Thanks, everybody. That was I'm questionable go people. Yeah, I'm going to redo everything I do about my classroom. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> no, right. It's fine. Oh, yeah, we didn't get any teacher-to-teacher -teacher kind of interaction there, it's did fine. we? fine. I was just, just, like, listening. Yeah. Well, that was the point. Yeah. That was the point of this whole episode. How do we, you and I, become better people? Yeah, I've got lots of notes mm -hmm. on that. So, anyway, yeah, cool. Um, subscribe. Like. What are the things people say? I don't know. Rate us. Go yeah. to go to iTunes and leave a review. And if you think it's an interesting conversation, tell somebody else you know to listen. Question mark. Wow, that might be a bridge too far, Liz. Um, anyway, um, should we say the other people that help us with this? Oh, that's right. That yeah. was the thing. Uh, this uh, questionable people is um, per, not produced. Not produced. Edited. edited. Not produced. Thank you. Edited by Aaron Garcia. Uh, editorial consultant is Ashley, Ashley Bull. Bull. And that's it. Yeah, I feel like Brian would like some sort of. Yeah, would you make up a title for Brian? That's cool. Yeah, I'll think about it. No, let's do it now. Uh, audio visual. 
Uh, yeah, Brian, audio visual, audio visual. Cinematography. Wizardry. Yeah, Brian Thomas. Yeah, Brian Thomas. Cool. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Don't get too attached.